0: Well, good morning. This is the first time I've, well, the second time I've been able to be in church in about the last six weeks. So it's uh, delighted to be able to be with you today. Um, Want to introduce a couple of special guests, and uh, one's a family, and that's uh, uh, Jason and Heather Weibel, uh, along with my grandson, uh, Jackson. Jackson kind of grew up in vacation Bible school here three or four summers, and uh, so he's not a stranger, but it's great to have Heather and Jason with us. And their little one, uh, Jameson, is in our nursery. Uh, and then Kim Priolo is also here with us today. Uh, made a special invite to uh, Kim. Kim is a longtime former member of our church that goes back into the 80s, and uh, predates many of you. So uh, it certainly predates me. But Kim, we're delighted to have you with us today. Uh, Today, the text for is from chapter one of Colossians, verses 15 through 20, Uh, and what I'm going to do uh, is challenge you today a little bit and ask you this question. What do you think, who do you think the Lord Jesus Christ is? Now, that's a fairly simple question for a church. It's not a trick question. How complete is your understanding of who Jesus is according to the scriptures, both Old and New Testaments? And more important than what your knowledge is, is what is your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ like? What's the depth, the height, the width of that relationship with God our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ? Here's the pretext of my message. you got to have a context for your message, but here's the pretext. I'm preaching this message today today that not one single person in our gathering, including me, knows Jesus well enough that they can say, I'm done. None of us know Jesus like we can know Jesus in this life. So the question, who is Jesus, is posed to expand your, your knowledge, your scope of who the Lord Jesus is. Not only in this life, because this is not all there is, but in the life to come in, as well. Now, I'll soon be 79 years old. I've lost many opportunities. And my future opportunities are growing less. To know Christ in this life. But my desire is to finish the race strong and not give up, not fall by the wayside. And frankly, all of us have many challenges in our life where that could easily happen, where we grow discouraged and we begin to doubt. Does God really care for me? And the next thing would, from doubt would be to fall into either depression or even despair. And uh, God has another way forward for us. And I want to share some of that today. So if you're a follower of Christ, you may have... Responded to the question, Who is Jesus? something like this Of course, I know who Jesus is. He's my Savior. He's the Lord of my life. He's forgiven me of my sins that I might have eternal life with Him. And when I die, I will go to heaven and be with Him forever and ever. Now, folks, That's important for you to be able to say. But you know what? That's the starting point. That's not the finish point. That's where you begin your life in Christ. And I want to open that up for you a little bit today. Let's go to Colossians now, and I want to give you some introductory uh, words. I'm gonna be uh, preaching from the New King James Version. It's my favorite translation, so I get to pick that one for the text. It's one of the most accurate texts, one of the most accurate translations of the Greek and Hebrew that you can find. I personally use this 2,000-page Bible, which is the Thomas Nelson New King James Study Bible. The general that one of the reasons I chose that Bible is Dr. Earl Rodmacher is the general editor of this Bible. You know Howard had Dr. Rodmacher as one of his seminary professors. We've had Dr. Rodmacher come here and speak to us. Can't do that anymore. He's deceased. But he is a man of God, and all the study notes and all the articles and all are trustworthy. And uh, I think I've got it right here. One of my favorite books on salvation in Christ is by Dr. Rodmacher. Uh, you can see I got it earmarked and the pages are yellow. How come, Howard, how come all my books, the pages are turning yellow? I think there's something wrong with this book. Now, there's nothing wrong biblically with that book. But I've noticed that in my entire library. I've had them for a while. As we go to the scriptures in the uh, first chapter of Colossians, I'm going uh, to... I forgot to add this. Erwin Lutzer, who we have followed pretty closely here, uh, quotes Rodmacher in his book, Your Eternal Reward Triumph and Tears at the Judgment Seat of Christ. Here's what he says about the... uh, Dr. Rodmacher says this in Irwin's book. The person you are becoming today, the very person you are becoming right now is preparing you for the person you shall be in all eternity. Think about that. If you're developing a relationship with Christ and you're growing in that relationship that will be one future for you in the life to come. If you've turned your back on God, not purposely, but just out of neglect, and you're not knowing God, and you're not knowing the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did for you, that also can lead to a different future. Well, Luther goes on to say in his book, it is the depth of our personal relationship with Christ and our understanding of who he is and our love for and obedience to him which will most influence who we we will become in this life and in the life to come. Let's keep that thought in mind as we go further. Before we get into the text, let me just briefly introduce you to why the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to the small fledgling church at Colossae. Colossae was a small city and it was uh, near Laodicea, uh, Laodicea uh, which we remember from Revelations is a church that was lukewarm to the Lord. And Jesus actually said, I will spew you out of my mouth because of their, warm, their lukewarmness. That's not characteristic of the church at Colossae. Paul had never traveled to Colossae. He had the pastor, one of the pastors with him in Rome, where he was in prison as he writes this letter. His name was Epaphras. He's one of the leaders there. The Colossian church was beset with false teachers who were bringing their culture Into the church with all of its false teaching. Uh, The false teachers were promoting the worship of angels, and they just considered Jesus to be not God, but a lesser being, truly a spirit being, but a lesser being, and that was infecting the church. So um, where where is Colossae? should have had a map for you today, but it's 100 miles east of Ephesus. Ephesus, of course, is in Asia Minor, which is now uh, the modern state of Turkey. Uh, Howard, I know you've been to Ephesus, you and Beth. It's one of my, on my bucket list, but I haven't made it. But uh, Ephesus was one of the central cities in the entire Roman Empire, a big city, an important city. A megatropolis in those days. And here Colossae is just 100 miles away from there. Now to better understand the context of today's scriptures, let's, let's look first uh, of how Paul opens this letter. And you can follow along in, in your scripture or just listen, whichever you prefer. In verse 1 and 2, Paul introduces himself and Timothy. Timothy is with him in Rome. And in verse three and four, Paul begins by saying how he and Timothy are praying for the church at Colossae. And he's heard, they have heard that the members of the church, uh, he, they have heard of their faith in Christ Jesus and their love for all the saints, for, for the believers. Now, these are two praiseworthy things for any church to have a strong faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and a love for one another. Then in verse 5, Paul broadens his scope and, and the purpose of his prayer. He says this, we're praying for your faith in Christ and your love for one another because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven. He's calling the Colossian Colossian church to keep their eye on the ball. Don't get so caught up in your church work, in your personal life, that you forget what is the end of this life and what is for all eternity a life with Christ in heaven. Ephesians 1, which one of my favorite texts is, we have already been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We just haven't realized all of that yet. It's yet future, and we're working toward that uh, end in heaven, even as we sit here today. So we often get caught up after we make ourselves our, our, our profession of faith in Christ, we get caught up in this life. And there's God put us here it's important our life, our daily life is important but it's not all there is. We' remember that it's temporal. The followers of Christ keep need to keep their eyes and their hearts on the hope the expectation, the fulfillment of this life in Christ. Now if you're younger, You might say, yeah, Ed, you're an old guy. You're soon to be seeing that uh, heavenly reward. But I got a life to live. I got things to do. I got ball to play. All those things are important. I would not have any young person step away from that. But I will tell you, as this old person, I regret in my earlier life that I did not give more attention to the life to come and the blessings that Christ has stored up for me and my loved ones in heaven. Well, you see where I'm going with that. You evaluate your own relationship. No matter how old you are, if you're older, like me, finish strong. If you're young, make a strong start. And uh, somewhere in between those two things, give it your effort, enabled by the Holy Spirit to know Christ. Well, the next six verses of chapter 1, uh, verses 9 through 14, are a prayer. Paul prays this prayer for the Colossian Church. I'm going I'm to read this prayer. I'm actually going to pray this prayer. So as I pray, you can just close your eyes and listen to this as a prayer for your church if your members here take it as a prayer for baraka if this is not your church take it as a prayer for your church so let's pray dear church may you be filled with the knowledge of the will of god in christ in all wisdom and spiritual understanding that you may walk worthy of the lord Fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power for all patience and long suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. And to that, can you say amen? This is a powerful prayer that God would be delighted to answer in your personal life and in the life of your church and we can look, and it will help us all to keep our eye on the ball and look forward to heaven. Let me just say a word about the prayers of Paul. In Paul's epistles, there's some 43 individual prayers. I have a copy of them. If you'd like to have it, you just let me know, and I'll send it to you by email. Unfortunately, it's not in the New King James Version. It's in the New International Version. But guess what? That works, too. So... Uh, You can make the translation to any verse or any version that you like, but anyway, the the prayers of Paul. If you read them and begin to use them, they will strengthen your prayer life. It'll get you beyond. Lord, help me find a parking place at Kroger. But read the prayers and begin to let them guide and inform your own praying. And it will assist you in expanding the scope of your prayers and the life of your loved ones. Well, that's been a lot of preparation and introductory material to get to our text. Chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. These next verses are said to be by many faithful theologians and pastors to be among the most important and comprehensive truths in all of scripture describing the Lord Jesus. Some of you are seeing it for the first time. We're going to read it here in a moment. When we fully answer the question, who is Jesus? We need to know these verses. And again, I'll be reading from the New King James. You can follow along or just listen closely as I read. Here's what they say. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father, that in him all the fullness should dwell. And through him... To reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And to this we also say amen. Now we could spend a lifetime opening up these verses. I jokingly told Ryan, I hope it's a joke, that hey, you never know when you're going to preach your last sermon. (laughs) If I knew this was my last sermon, I would choose this text. And then I explained to Ryan, well, the good thing about this text, you can preach on it for a year or two without any problem. But we'll see. Well, this text reveals to us or or shows us three roles of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, first, as the revelation of God. Second, Jesus, Jesus himself, personally, as the creator of the heavens and earth. And thirdly, Jesus Christ as the reconciler of humanity and the creation of God. Jesus is not just going to reconcile humanity to himself. He's going to reconcile the entire universe to himself. Well, that's quite an undertaking for a 40-minute sermon. If I go to 45, just bear with me. Uh, um, let's look first at the revealer, Jesus as the revealer of God. So this text starts with this. He is the image of God in verse 15. It's the image of the invisible God. Is as in present tense. He still is. He was and he still is. And he will be forever. Well, some people say, "Well, image Genesis says man was created in God's image. If he's just he's just like all the other men, he's not God. He's just created in the image of God." Well, if you should take up that line of thought, you would be missing out on a whole lot of other scriptures. This is a misinterpretation of verse fifteen. The word verse in. Uh, image here in verse 15 is the Greek word icon you know if you've heard that word in English and the word here in the Greek means he's the exact representation of God he yes he's God in the flesh but he has come to reveal who God is one of the major purposes of Jesus is God the Son and taking on a body of flesh and being born into this Life is for the world to see who God is, to see the invisible God in flesh. And if we turn to the first chapter of John, we see this as revealed or laid out to us in, in, in full scope. In First 1 John, John 1, one begins this way. The entire New Testament, the book of John, begins with these words, and they're familiar to many of you. John 1.1 says that it, Jesus in the beginning was the Word and the Word was God was, was with God and the Word was God the Word uh, it's the Greek logos and it implies that Jesus is a full statement of who God is. Verse 14 goes on to tell us this, how Jesus revealed God by his incarnation and birth. And John writes, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The only glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John 1.18 adds this, no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. That word declared is a very familiar word. When we talk about, it's called exeget, Greek is not, uh, pronunciation is not as good as it used to be exegesado, our, our English word, exegesis. He's, Jesus is the exegesis of God. He re, that's how detailed his revelation of God is. Now, when a preacher gets before you to preach, you want to make sure that he's done his exegesis of the scriptures in order to reveal the truth that God has put in the scripture. That's what we call expository preaching. Expository preaching is a priority in our church, that we might open up the word of God through our exegesis and give exposition of it to our people. It's exactly what John is writing. Jesus is the exegesis of God and we are are to understand and to know what all that means. Well, this is how we come to know Jesus through the scriptures. We can't make up through speculation what who Jesus is and what, what his purpose is. We have to have it through revelation. Revelation of the Holy Spirit. It's very difficult if you're not a follower of Christ, if you're not in Christ, and you don't have the Holy Spirit working in your life, to explain and to open up, to enlighten the scriptures to your eyes of your understanding, it's very difficult to learn who Jesus is. But after you come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and as the scripture says that you're indwelt by the very spirit of God in your inner being, that Holy Spirit, that indwelling Christ, that indwelling uh, Holy Spirit, will help you to come to understand who Jesus is. Well, let's look quickly at at what it means that he's the firstborn of over all creation. In the second part of verse 15, Jehovah's Witnesses will tell you that Jesus was created by Jehovah. He's created being. And he became the Archangel Michael. Not God, he's an angel. It's a very similar to the false teaching that the church at Colossae was, was getting in their time. Jesus was simply a lesser being. Now, firstborn can sometimes mean firstborn child. You know how that goes. Firstborn in a family is first in the order of birth. Well, it, there's more to it here. Firstborn here is not just a reference to his chronological birth. It's a reference to the order of Jesus' birth. He is firstborn among all creation. He has precedence, prominence, as we'll see, preeminence, because he's firstborn over all creation. As we've already seen in the book of John, Jesus is not only fully God, he's fully man. And who is better to reveal God to us? Jesus is first in rank and position because he is the creator of all things, firstborn over all creation. As creator of all things, Jesus is also the ruler of all things. In other words, as the creator, he has authority over the creation. We don't know exactly how Jesus brought the creation into being, but we, knew, we do know this. He spoke it into creation. Same way he's going to end it. He will speak it, and the creation will be transformed at the end of days into a new creation a restored creation by the word of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you're beginning to see the majesty of the magnificence of the person of Jesus, you're beginning to get an emphasis in the meaning of this text. Let's look next at Jesus as the ruler of all things in verse 16 and 17. The scripture says, for by him, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him, all things consist. Now this, this delineation of thrones, dominions, principalities, or powers, that's a direct reference to angels. Now, folks, that would be a good rabbit hole to go down, but it's not as important as some of the other texts. Paul was making the point, Jesus is above all the angels, no matter what their rank or their order is. and He's above all creation, and the angels are created beings. Now, when we say Jesus is the creator of all things, that sometimes surprises people who may not fully know their scriptures. Because we always, oh, God created the heaven and earth. That's true. But in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, the creation was done. By the will of the Father, I might say. You know, um, Ephesians 1, 20 through 21, still one of my favorite scripture books, Jesus is seated at the right hand of God the Father in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but the age to come. That's how God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit set the creation up with Jesus in the preeminent position. Now here, this is in the Old Testament too. In Daniel 7, verses 13 through 14, here's a vision that Daniel sees. And behold, one like the Son of Man, it's a title from the New, used in the New Testament of Jesus, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven, he came to the Ancient of Days that is believed to be God the Father. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. Now I've got some very close Jewish friends, and as I prepared this sermon, I said, I'm going to make sure they see that reference to the Lord Jesus in the Old Testament. Well, even we Christians often say, oh, Jesus is the Lord of all, and that rolls off our lips so easy, and we don't really understand what a wondrous thing that is. Jesus truly is the Lord of all creation. And he's the Lord of all of us. Whether we have trusted Him or whether we have neglected Him, He is still Lord. Well, we look at four quick key points quickly. Verse 16, first part says, All things were created by Him. And as I've mentioned, the the false teachers at Colossae were saying, no, Jesus himself is a created being. He didn't do this. Uh, things visible include the whole earth. I wish I had the latest shots of the new telescope that peers hundreds of millions of light years into our universe and still cannot see the end of it. Jesus created all that for his own purposes, and we'll get to that. Now, things that are invisible would include the angels. But guess what? It includes your soul and your spirit, which is the immaterial part of your body. It's invisible to all but God. Now, the Lord Jesus will honor the choice that you make to either receive him, as as your Lord and Savior or to continue to neglect him and not live for him. The choice is really yours for all eternity. Now, Jesus created all of of our universe and he has the authority to rule and, and exercise his authority over it. Let me tell you how big the universe is according to scientists today. There are 100 billion stars in our own galaxy, the Milky Way, 100 billion, just in our one galaxy. Now, there are two trillion galaxies in the universe by the estimate of scientists, two trillion. You don't even, I don't even know how large that number is. But get this, with that many stars, every single star is counted by Jesus, and the scripture and in science says there's 200 billion trillion stars. Now, folks, that's uh, I think I wrote it down as 10 to 24th power for you mathematicians. I don't even know how to calculate that. That's a lot. That's a that's a lot of stars. Well, let's go on from there. You know, Galileo, even in 1610, who invented the first telescope. He, he, he estimated there were a million stars back at six, in 1610. Well, in Genesis 15, 5, listen to this. Childless Abraham did not believe that God was going to give him an untold innumerable amount of descendants. And the Spirit of God took him outside at night and said, Look up, Abram. And said to him, look now toward heaven and count the stars if you're able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. And Abraham believed God and was counted to him for righteousness sake. Now, that's called general revelation when you look up and see the wonder of the universe. But don't look at it without thinking that God himself is. Person of Jesus created it all. Psalm one forty seven is another opening of our eyes here, personalizes this glorious truth. Starts out this way: God heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. And the next verse seems like it's jumping out of the context. He counts the number of the stars. He calls them all by name. Now the point that psalmist is making there is the same God who created the universe and has named every star knows if you are brokenhearted. He knows how to heal your broken heart. He's not an impersonal God. He's very personal and he wants to to work in your life that you might know the fullness of who he is. Second point I want to get to quickly here is all things were created for him, not just by him, for him. When we say he's the Lord of the universe, the creation is for him. We get to benefit from it. We get to be blessed by it but it was not created solely for us and our enjoyment. It's created for Christ, for Jesus Christ. John 1, 3, going back to that gospel. Incidentally, when I share Christ with someone, sometimes I get to share personally. Sometimes I only have a minute. You know what I do? I say, you know, if you want to know Jesus Christ, read the gospel of John. Start with the first chapter. And before you read, ask God to show you who Jesus Christ is. The Gospel of John was written to reveal to us the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you have a little hesitancy to witness, you can always ask someone to read the Gospel of John. It's a good way to go. John 1.3 says, All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made. And then in Hebrews 1, 2, we pick this up. God has in these last days spoken to us through his Son. He has revealed to us through his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also Jesus made the worlds, who referring to Jesus Christ being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power. Well, that's exactly what we're going to see in our text here. I'm going to jump ahead here, just in the interest of time. When we say for him, the creation is for the purpose of God, even from the beginning. In Hebrews 1, 10 through 12, here's what the scripture says. You, Lord, in the beginning, laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. And they will grow old like a garment, like a cloak you will fold them up, and they will be changed, but you are the same. Now, the scripture says he's before all things. He is before all things. We've already looked at the scriptures that say he existed before the physical creation of the earth. I want to mention verse 17 on the second part before we move on. And in him all things consist. From the moment of creation it is the Lord Jesus Christ who is holding all things together. If God himself was not holding all things together this creation would rapidly run to chaos. The physical creation, as well as the animal creation, is included here. I'll tell you what. Modern-day environmentalists who don't believe in God, they really don't know what they're up against in saving the environment. I commend them for doing, wanting to take care of, our, of the creation but not acknowledging that God himself created it and God himself superintends it, they're missing out. They won't be able to save this world when Jesus calls an end to it and brings about the new heaven and the new earth. The quote that I just gave about if Jesus wasn't holding it together, it would the cosmos would be chaos. That was by J.B. Lightfoot. Middle name, where's, where David, his middle name was Barber. Okay, we've seen that Jesus is the revealer of God. We've seen that he's the ruler and creator of all things. And lastly, we look at the fact that he is the reconciler of all things. What does that mean? This role of Jesus is even more magnificent than his role of creator. And let's look at verses 18 through 20. Scripture says, And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell. And by him to reconcile all things to himself, to Jesus. By him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Now, folks, you may think, if you're not familiar with the scriptures here, when you bring up that Jesus is the reconciler of all things, just after you've said that he's the creator of all things? Now, I think most people might, if they're not familiar with the scriptures, say, like, oh, that creation part, that, that's the most important part. No, the creation fell. It fell by the disobedience of first the angels, and then the the fall of men. I will tell you what our church teaches that Adam and Eve were really two of the first people that God created, and the, and it's not an allegory. It's the truth, and it's picked up all the way through Scripture as the truth, not an allegory. But it was the disobedience of the angels and men who brought ruin to our creation. Oh, we see the vestiges of a beautiful creation. Who could stand in the, and, and look out on the Rocky Mountains and not think it's a maj- majestic creation? But there are tornadoes, there are hurricanes, there are earthquakes, there's a brawling sun, there's a freezing cold, and all of that can kill you if you're exposed to it. That's part of the fallenness of our creation. And God says in His Scripture that when He renews this creation, those things will be on, they will be by and by, they will be gone. And the entire creation will be a place of joy and life. Well, He's the head of the body of the church. Now, here's what I was about to say the head of the church. Head of creation? Well, head of creation, goodness. Why is it such a big deal that he's the head of the church? Well, I'll tell you why. The church is the only thing of humanity that's going to survive out of his present creation. Think about that for a moment. Now there's probably over a well over a billion of people who are making up the church. The church here is not just Baraka and it's hundred or so. It's from the creation of the church in the time of Jesus. Over a billion souls make up the church now. And those men and women, even boys and girls, will be brought out of this present creation and will enter into a new heaven and earth and the life to come. Now, that position of Christ as head of the church is his most important position for you and I. And you cannot discount it. Well, the scripture says that Jesus is the beginning, the firstborn of the dead. He was the first human being, he was fully man, to be resurrected unto eternal life. He was the beginning. He was not only the first in in order of time, but he was also first in order of preeminence or importance because he was resurrected first as the head of all that would come behind him. You know, um, the resurrection of Jesus, it was a bodily resurrection. All believers will have a bodily resurrection in time, in the life to come. But you know what you get first? You're born again, very similar to resurrection. 2 Corinthians 5.17, if any man is in Christ, speaking of women too, any person is in Christ, behold, he is a new creature, a new creation. Old things passed away, behold, new things have come. The second birth is, is, you're born physically, biologically, and then you're born again spiritually. Now, a lot of folks don't like the word born again. Jesus uses it. Unless you're born again, you won't see God. That's what he told Nicodemus. You must be born again. You must experience the second birth in order to go to heaven with Christ for eternal life. Well, let me just wind up by saying this. This idea of Jesus reconciling all things to himself as head of the church, He has made you and me, all of us who are faithful followers of Christ, part of his ministry of reconciliation. When we put our emphasis on missions in our church, very few churches our size have a missions budget that is almost as large as their operations budget. Not quite, but it's large for a church of our size because we're committed to the ministry of reconciliation as part of Christ's church. That's why we do it. Well, the scripture says he's preeminent in all things. I want to just read Philippians and a couple other verses as we close up. Here's what Philippians 2, 8, uh, and 11 says. And being found in the appearance as a man, Jesus humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father." That's what the word preeminence, when we say Jesus is preeminent, he's the only one who could do that. He's the only one that did it. Verse 19 of Colossians 1 says, in him all the fullness dwells. Jesus, as God the Son, fully man, fully God, has every single attribute God the Father has. He has every single attribute the God, the Holy Spirit has. He's equal in his attributes, but he has willingly submitted himself to the Father. Think about that. Okay. Here's here's why you have a ministry of reconciliation. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 19. All this is from God, Everything I've been speaking of is from the scriptures, the word of God. All of this is from God who through Christ reconciled us, you and me, to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, to himself, not counting our trespasses, our sins, if we have been forgiven In Christ, our sins don't count against us. And entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. How are you doing on that? Our church is really getting traction again on that very thing. In your own personal life, you can become part of a biblical church a Bible-based church, not just this one, any church which has a ministry of reconciliation bringing other people to Christ. And we see here in the last part of the verse that Jesus is, is reconciling all things to himself. God is not being reconciled to man. Man is being reconciled to God. And it's through the blood of his cross. In order to receive the Lord Jesus Christ, you must believe that the Lord Jesus gave his life on the cross, on your behalf, your personal behalf, paying the penalty of death penalty of death that you and all of us deserve because of our disobedience to God. And you might even say are evil in the face of God. What do you mean? I'm a good person. I'm not an evil person. Well, the scripture would beg to differ with you. If you neglect the holy God of all creation who has died on the cross to open the door of salvation for you and you have no interest in that or you just choose to say that cannot be true, I won't believe it despite what God has revealed. That's a form of evil. That's why the scripture will call us in our unbelief wicked. Those are hard words. They're not politically correct in today's culture, but that's how the scripture points it out. Well, just wanna close with one quick word, my way of application. One of my favorite theologians from the 70s, still favorite, all his books are yellow in my library Francis Schaeffer Francis Schaeffer was a countercultural man of God. Uh, Paul Curtis, who was a former associate pastor here under Howard, actually went to Le Brie, I believe, It's where he met his wife, Claudette, a beautiful person in Switzerland. Francis Schaeffer wrote three books called "A Trilogy. Uh, and let me see if I make sure I've got them right. Uh, The first one, and I've just finished it again, is the God who is there. How our modern society does not want to believe the truth of the scripture. The second book, shorter, is called Escape from Reason. Our culture does not believe that the scriptures are reasonable, are truth. Not everybody in our culture, but the majority of it. And here's the third title. He is there, and he is not silent. God has spoken to our culture. He's spoken to you this morning through his word. And what you choose to do in personal response is the most important decision you'll make in your life. It's the beginning point. It's not the end point, remember. Receiving Christ as your Savior is the beginning of a new life in Christ. And what you have to do to receive the Lord Jesus Christ is simply believe he is who he said he was. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Lord Jesus Christ who died on the cross millenniums ago to pay the penalty that you yourself deserve for your sins. And you trust in Jesus' death on your behalf. Believing that he was God in the flesh. He wasn't just a man who did that. And the scripture says that if you believe, confess with your mouth, and believe in your heart that Jesus died in your place on that cross many years ago, you will be saved. It is that simple, it's that profound. There's not a more profound truth in all of the scriptures. And as we close this morning, I'm just going to pray for those of you who may be here who are opening up your eyes. Actually, the Holy Spirit is opening the eyes of your understanding. That's what the scripture says. And opening up your heart to this truth. So let's pray. Father, what a joy it is to fully know or even begin to know who Jesus is. And Father, for those that might be listening today and hearing who Jesus is for the first time or have put away their neglect of Jesus and opening their eyes, opening their hearts, opening their arms to receive him as their Lord and Savior. I pray, Father, thanking you for your work among them. Father, uh, confirm this truth even as they pray. In the name of Christ, I pray this. Amen.